0: Hi, and welcome to A Match, where I, Molly, interview my mom, Lisa B. Kaufman, a criminal defense lawyer who is gonna recount all her misspent youth and path to adulthood. Because why share her trauma with a therapist when I have a microphone?
1: Hey, maybe I'll say something insightful, or maybe we can all learn something.
0: So my mom was born as a one-night stand in Chicago and adopted by a wealthy family, became a juvenile delinquent, wanted to be a cop, became a lawyer, quit drinking, lived out of her car for a year trying to find herself, landed in Montana by fate, then became a single mother by choice. Subscribe to hear the stories along the way. I was wondering if you would tell me about how you didn't get into the LAPD.
1: Oh, that is a little bit of a story, isn't it? Yeah. So, little background context. You know, when I was 15 or 16, all I wanted to do was to be a a police officer and... By the time I was 17 and starting college, all I wanted to do was be a Los Angeles police officer. And what you need to understand is that the time in the 70s, they were the up and coming, modern, progressive um, police department. They had radios and their squad cars. They were looking for women. They were sort of like the the cutting edge. So I really spent four years in college just biding my time until I could be 21 and take the police test, okay? So the way the L.A. police test worked, at least in 19-whenever, 17, I don't know, when was I 21? 1980, 1981. Um, I think I applied when I was 20. It's a five-day test. So I had to go down there and stay for five days, and each day was something different. So one day it was sort of physical agility test. Another day was psychological screening, and then another day was a written exam, and another day was what they called the civil service test, and I don't really know exactly what mm-hmm. that means, so it was different stuff. I scored so high the first two days that the then mayor, I think it was the mayor, or chief of police, I can't remember, Tom Bradley maybe? I can't remember. He came and pulled me out of the recruiting class that was testing Mm. because he was so excited about such a qualified female candidate, you know, college educated, physically fit, smart, capable, et cetera, you know, just basically welcoming me to the force. I just had to kind of jump through these hoops, you know, to pass the testing. So contemporaneously, I was dating a police officer back in Chicago, and I knew lots of
0: Oh, Tom Bradley, I looked it up. He was the mayor of Los Angeles from 1973 to 1993.
1: So good job, Mom. And the chief of police I met too. Well, I can't remember his name at the time, but he, the mayor introduced me to the chief, or the chief introduced me to the mayor. I
0: so were you, doing, anyway, were you doing you doing the test in LA?
1: Yeah, I was in LA. I had to stay there for a week. I had, actually had a friend from high school happened to have moved there, so he let me stay with him so I didn't have to pay to go there. And yeah, I had to stay there like Sunday through Friday or something wow. to take the testing. And I was 20. So, contemporaneously, dating a cop, friends with lots of cops, and I had done a lot of drugs when mm-hmm. I was like age 13 to 18. Classic. And I basically quit when I was 18 or 19. So, you know, I'd been basically clean and sober other than drinking for, I don't know, two years maybe. Mm-hmm. So I said, they told me, their advice to me was, if they ask you if you've ever used drugs, say no. Mm -hmm. Just lie. Lie, lie, lie. (laughs) And I had said, no, I'm going to be honest and tell them I've done drugs. I understand drug culture. It's going to really enhance my ability to be a better police officer. And now I'm clean and I'm ready to go fight crime and do justice and all that stuff and so and they warned me over and over lie 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 mm-hmm. so on the civil service portion of the test there's a series of questions about drug and alcohol use and I honestly answered them thinking you know they're gonna really like me now because been there done that I'm so mature I was 20 I think <laughs> So I go through that whole week. I'm all excited. I get home, back to Chicago. And then, you know, some, it takes months for them to get back to you. after you, They only test like every five years. They test several hundred people at a time. At least that's how it used to be. And oh, and the shooting, I had been shooting guns with the state police. So, I mean, I knew how to handle a gun. I mean, I was just top tier mm-hmm. candidate. So get back to Chicago. I'm, I'm, I think I was doing my last semester of college or something and um, just waiting for my acceptance letter so I could move to LA and I get the letter and it was a rejection. Ooh. And the reason why they stated in the letter I was rejected was because they felt that my drug use had been too soon, too, or too close to my age and that I needed to mature a little bit And then I should reapply when I was 24, (gasps) 25, something like that. I was devastated. (laughs) That and Riverview Park and the drinking age are the three biggest traumas of my life. (laughs) What's Riverview Park? (laughs) Oh, I'll tell you in a minute. I mean, I was so devastated. I was 21 years old and I felt like my entire dream, my entire future had been ripped out from underneath me. Now, it wasn't. You know, in perspective, it wasn't the end of the world. There's plenty of other police departments. I could have been a cop anywhere and then eventually, you know, reapplied to L.A. But I was so mad mm-hmm. and so bitter and so disenchanted and disappointed mm-hmm. that people in positions of power would make such stupid decisions. Mm-hmm. And it was just a beginning of me learning that the people who are in positions of power are really stupid sometimes with their hiring decisions, with what they value, with, you know, what they put weight on. And so uh, that really was a turning point in my life. So then I just started working in bars. Well, I already was, but I just started working more and drinking and yeah. And then my dad, I was kind of floundering and my dad said, well, you should probably go to law school because you have a big mouth. And then I said, that was probably the only piece of advice he ever gave me in my life. So I put a lot of weight on it. I applied to law school. Um, What was the question you just asked that I digressed to? Riverview. Oh, okay. Riverview Park was a very, very famous, famous amusement park in the city of Chicago in the 60s and 70s, maybe closed in, I don't know, early 70s. I, I don't know. Anyway, it was very famous. It was as famous as Chicago and the Midwest as, you know, Coney Island or something would be out east. It was... It was really fun and it was um, a big deal in Chicago, but you had to be seven years old. It had nothing to do with height or weight. It was just age. You had to be seven years old to ride all the big fun rides, right? Mm -hmm. So I was a little kid, you know, two, you know, three, four, five, six. My sisters were four years older and 10 years older than me, right? So the family of five would go to Riverview And I I remember years of standing there holding my mother's hand while my dad went on all the fun rides with my two older sisters. And that was really traumatizing for me because I didn't want to be standing there holding my mother's hand and I wanted to be on the rides with my dad and having fun. And I was counting the days, you know, that I was going to be seven. We used to talk about, I remember talking about it. Your birthday's coming up. You can go on the rides at Riverview. And it was like a big thing, you know, and they closed the park like December of when I was six years old. So it must have been in the sixties, I guess. So. (laughs) <laughs> and I was going to turn seven that January. And I mean, that was really dramatic <laughs> for me <laughs> as a six-year-old, because I felt like that was the only thing I was looking forward to in my little life at that time. And then the second funny thing that happened about age is um, Illinois' drinking age was 21. No, was 19. For years and years and years and years back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, you had to be 19 to drink. Now, I had a fake ID when I was 13, so it didn't matter that much. but from age 13 to 19, which is pretty long. I was counting the days to be legal, you know, to be able to go into a bar and drink legally. And a lot of us used to go up to Wisconsin and drink because the drinking age there was 18 Mm -hmm. and they never carded anyway. So you could be (laughs) like eight, I think they wouldn't care. I don't remember. But, um, um, so literally December again, December, The month before I was to turn 19, Illinois changed the drinking age to 21. Now, it had zero impact on my drinking or going into bars. It was just sort of, it was more funny. It wasn't traumatic to me, but it was funny because of the whole Riverview thing. So I always feel like, you know, that expression day late and a dollar short when it comes to being old enough to do stuff. (laughs) And then the whole LA police department rejection thing that I was too young. I had, you know, I was too immature. I was too close to the teenage years when I had used drugs, and oh, I just will never forgive them for that decision. It was the stupidest decision ever.
0: Yeah, because so. you were high marks and everything else. Who? What do they care if you did drugs? Well, obviously, they cared a lot. But
1: I, I will say one funny thing about the physical agility test. Mm-hmm. Um, so, of course, you know you had to run on obstacle course, you had to scale a six foot wall and you had to drag you know bodies out of a car that were like twice your weight and all that was fine, but, as a girl, mm-hmm. I had trouble getting over the six foot wall I've now learned i shouldn't be ashamed of that that men you know upper body weight they just are able to fly over those six foot walls easier. obviously, plenty of women are doing it in combat and military and police but at that time, I couldn't do it for whatever reason, and I was in good shape. So the the squad leader, whatever he was, that had us, you know, the recruits or the candidates in sort of groups of eight to ten, mm-hmm. he pulled all the women over, <laughs> and he said because they were so desperate to hire women, and he said, "Okay, gals, I know you're gonna have trouble getting over the six foot wall." He goes, "There's this little peg, about a foot or two on the bottom, of the, on the ground." that we've nailed it we've hammered into the bottom of this wall. Put your foot on that and use it as leverage to throw your other leg over the wall so you can do it. And he was right. I was able to, We're all of us, I think. I don't even remember if there's any other girls, maybe three of us. I can't remember, but um, yeah, we found that little peg. We made sure we ran towards the wall on the side where the peg was sticking out so we could get our left foot on the peg and throw our right leg over. So I guess I cheated. On the six foot wall test. Well, which they, obviously they didn't hire you. Doesn't matter. That's right. <laughs> I was so mad, and I did apply to some other police departments in the south suburbs of Chicago. I think I ended up applying to Orland Police Part, and they and they hired me. I mean, they said yeah, but there was like a waiting list, right? That's the way police departments used to work. I don't know what they do anymore, but they would have. Um, hirings every 2 to 5 years and mm. then they would just create a list mm. and then as people retired or quit or left then they would draw from that list so i made the list but you know i was 21 and way too impatient <laughs> i wanted to start my life and take over the world so i wasn't willing to wait so i went to law
0: school do you have any memory of studying to get into law school because everyone i've met that's my age like you can't just oh i just applied to law school you have to take the LSAT
1: yes I had to take the LSAT. I have zero memory of taking the LSAT, which is very funny nowadays. Because Katanji Brown, mm-hmm. who's um, candidate, or being screened by the Senate right now to be in the next Supreme, a Supreme Court Justice right now. One of the idiot Republicans was like, "We demand to see her LSAT scores." <laughs> this woman, first of all, she's been an attorney for a thousand years. Mm-hmm. Second of all, she's so overqualified you know, with everything she's done. Third of all, nobody keeps a record of your LSATs or remembers their score or cares. I mean, it's as stupid as they, it's like asking her what she got on her first grade spelling bee quiz. It's the dumbest question in the world. So yes, the LSATs is similar to the, the GRE or whatever you mm-hmm. have to take to get into graduate school. Mm-hmm. Not, nobody remembers their score or cares. You know, um, so I don't remember it being that challenging. I don't remember. I think only thing I remember from is I had to pay. That made me mad. (laughs) I had to pay to take the test to see if I was qualified to get into law school. And, you know, at that time I had no money or, you know, at least I didn't think I had enough money. So that made me mad. But anyway, yes, I took the LSATs. And... um,
0: Did you apply? Did you apply to a lot of law schools? Do you remember if you no. felt like your score was high or did you just do what was convenient for law school?
1: I do not remember my score at all or how competitive I was at all. And so Chicago has five, I think they have five law schools and two of them are well-known and kind of fancy. Um, Northwestern University and the University of Chicago are like the big ones, but there's three others. Um, that I know of. Mm -hmm. There's uh, Loyola, DePaul, and the John Marshall Law School. Mm -hmm. And the reputation of the law schools, each law school kind of has a reputation, which I don't even know if there's merit to that, Mm -hmm. but it's certainly rumors and reputation. Um, So the John Marshall Law School was the one where a lot of cops went to, Mm -hmm. night school. So they could keep working full-time as cops and then go to law school at night. Mm-hmm. And so the program was geared more towards people that wanted to work, I guess, or they offered you know, full-time night courses. Mm-hmm. And they also offered, um, how do you explain this? Be- you could begin in September mm-hmm. with a class or you could begin in January. Mm-hmm. They had like a whole new entering class in January. And based on where I was at the time, i might have been summer or September. So I wanted to get right in. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to start in January. I didn't want to wait until the following September because my god I'd be 22 by then. <laughs> I'd be so old. So I had to do it see, right then when I was 21. See, you
0: get mad at me and, racing forward and feel like my youth has passed me by. And look at what you did. Look at I'm a well, carbon that's exactly
1: why I'm trying to slow you down because I did it all wrong because <laughs> I imploded when I was 30 because I was so driven to get a job, make money, get promoted, you know, be president of the United States, whatever I thought, whatever direction I thought I was going at that time. So that's the reason I applied there. And I got in and I don't remember, I don't know, I don't remember that being a big deal. Mm -hmm. I guess I should have been excited I got in. I'd already dealt with the disappointment of not being a freaking cop for Los Angeles Police (laughs) Department. (laughs) I don't remember that being a big deal. I mean, I was working full-time bartending and got in and then, you know, I just had to kind of rearrange my work schedule. So I had only night shift. I wanted to be day classes. So I was tending bar full-time nights and going to law school full-time day, starting January, whatever
0: year, 81, something like that. Wow. Did you, so you just, you've told me you studied in like the back of the bar, right?
1: So everybody talks about ADHD these days and, and obviously I'm not being, um, I'm not treating that lightly. I mean, it's a real thing. And a lot of science these days on the science of attention, you know, which has gotten some traction because of Facebook and social media and inability to focus or filter out certain triggers, And I just, I don't know if I'm just blessed or I'm stupid or I don't know which one, but I mean, I worked in a bar. If you can imagine, you know, there's five TVs with the different sports on every TV. The jukebox was blasting music. The noise level was incredibly high with people talking and laughing. And when I would have a break, I would go sit kind of in a back booth or a back table and study for law school. And I completely could shut out everything and just focus and study. And I remember when my break would be over, I can remember people would come up to me and be like, Lisa, time to, you know, whatever, Lisa. And it would take them a couple of minutes to kind of shake me out of my, wherever I was studying. So my ability to focus is pretty good, I guess.
0: Wow. (laughs) That's amazing. I have another question about law school. You were the president of your class, right?
1: So I think I told you that and I don't think that's true. Oh, <laughs> when I was thinking back to it. Um, but I, I was in charge of something. Or <laughs> I did something because, so what happened is our law school graduation was January, 1986. And it was set for, four o'clock in the afternoon and it had been set six months prior that was graduation day graduation time law school now keep in mind i could care less about graduation ceremonies i didn't go to my college graduation ceremony
0: neither did i My high school grip what'd you say neither did i but mine was because of the pandemic
1: Yeah, you missed out on yours. I, of course, was very excited about yours because not only did I want to celebrate your graduation, but I wanted to make up for not going to any of mine, so I was trying to live the normal life by having you living vicariously through your experiences that I never did or should have done differently. Um, Yeah, that's, I guess, why we're enmeshed, so...
0: Um, and it was in Los Angeles. So, I graduated in Los Angeles. So you're just trying to pretend you're graduating from the LAPD program.
1: Yeah. There was some weird psychological thing. there pushing you or encouraging you to go to school in LA. <laughs> I know so I could live by. Tears.
0: I went, I chose Los Angeles. I think without knowing you tried to get into the LAPD. We're just LA bound gals.
1: I love Southern California. In fact, it's funny. Some people have told me over the years, boy, you're such a hippie. Don't you think you'd like Northern California better? And I'm like, no, I like the sunshine and the beaches and the liberals. And I love L.A. I love Southern California. I love, you know, San Diego that I just going up and down the coast, anywhere between, you know, Monterey South. I would love to live there, um, but I can't afford it. So anyway, um, what was the question? Graduation,
0: lawyer. Six months.
1: Oh, so January nineteen eighty six. Graduation day was set four o'clock. I don't remember the day, and it was set way in advance. You know, and there's a hundred plus people graduating, and everybody's got relatives and whatnot coming in from hither and thither to to celebrate. Well. The Bears <laughs> ended up being in the Super Bowl that year, and kickoff was four o'clock on the day of law school <laughs> graduation. And at the time, oh my gosh, what was his name? Uh, Jim McMahon mm-hmm. was a bit was the quarterback, and um, oh, I can't remember the league, the king, the the big Kahuna, whatever his name was. It was Pete Rozelle. He was the guy in charge of NFL or whatever. So, (laughs) so Jim McMahon was protesting something. I don't even remember it now. And he got headbands with Roselle's name on it to protest whatever he was protesting. Mm -hmm. So I, on behalf of the students, had approached the dean of the law school and said, hey, we got to change this graduation day and or at least the time. I mean, the frickin' Bears are in in Super Bowl. Now, at the time, you know, I'm working in bars. I'm hanging out with guys. Sports was priority. Football was all over. The Bears were a big deal. I mean, it's funny that I could care less now. But at the time, it was important to me. Mm -hmm. So um, they wouldn't budge. You know, we, like, signed a petition, and I sat down with the dean, and we had talked to this person and that person. They wouldn't budge. They just didn't value the idea that the – Bears in the Super Bowl was a reason to change law school date. So I ordered like 100 headbands. And I can't remember the name of our dean, but we put the names of the dean on the headbands. And of course, all the people, this is another life lesson. You know, all the people that are like, yeah, I'll wear a headband. Yeah, I'll buy a headband. Yeah, let's protest this thing. Yeah, let's turn it around. You know, everybody crawls into the corners when it actually comes time to put on the headband <sighs> or wearing it. Counts. But some of us did. I certainly did. So I kind of got in trouble. (laughs) And again, this is all blurry 80s stuff in my head. And I was drinking and doing a lot of cocaine then. So, But I I remember having to meet with the dean and some other people and, you know, get kind of scolded about my priorities and my values. And, you know, this wasn't appropriate behavior. And people had grandmothers coming from wherever, New York. And people had planned. Anyway, long story short, they changed the graduation time to like 11 Mm -hmm. or 1130 or something. So there'd be time for graduation. Then everybody can get to their bar and go watch the football game. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So there you go. Protest can make a difference. Although it was a bad mark on my record in some way. I can't remember how it impacted (laughs) me, but I remember it wasn't pleasant.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, because you graduated. How did you just not have like good references after that? How did it affect you? Well, you say you don't
1: know. No, I don't think it affected me in, in any way. I mean, I mean, there certainly wasn't a professor or a dean that was willing to write me a letter of recommendation because I was a troublemaker. So, you know, I sort of walked away from that law school and never looked back. I mean, I had no connections or no traction or relationships or something with any of the faculty or the dean, and kind of just everybody had a little bit of a poor taste in their mouth, especially some of the professors who just. Their world is law. Their mm-hmm. world is teaching law, and their world is not watching football. So it was kind of a clash of, you know, I don't know, sports-minded people versus academia. Well, now <laughs> you're it's funny because yeah,
0: now you're the elitist yeah, academia that yeah now, I'm a total, yeah now
1: I'm a total yeah now I'm a total elitist and could care less about football. But <laughs> at the time, it was very important to me.
0: Yeah, Noah, my boyfriend, liking football. You always say he's a closet Republican because of it.
1: Well, I just, you know, I asked that question once. I said, it's, from all the sports, you know, that are played nationally, it seems to me that more Republicans tend to be drawn to football. And I, and I thought, well, I mean, obviously I didn't do a scientific experiment or any sort of validity <laughs> studies. This was just a gut feeling I had. And then I read some articles and it kind of makes sense because football really started and became popularized in the South Uh with a lot of the college competitions and college football. And that's sort of what sort of created this storm of popularity of American football, which, you know, is unique to America. Nobody else plays football Uh and everywhere else they play soccer and call it football. So um, it, it is a unique American thing, anyway so I mean I don't hate football you can turn it on and I'll watch it and I don't mind it it's kind of exciting I watch the Super Bowl but I'm not like I don't think I would protest right now with somebody (laughs) if there was a game the same time
0: I had a graduation you know Mm -hmm. all right well that's the story of how you got rejected from LAPD and then in spite went to law school (laughs)
1: Yeah, it was out of spite. It was like, it's funny on TikTok now, everybody's always doing those funny videos about, I'm walking for my fucking mental health. I'm doing this for my mental health, Uh you know. I'm eating healthy because I have to, you know. That's kind (laughs) of what I felt about law school. Fine, I'll go to stupid law school and be a stupid lawyer.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, thanks for listening. If you want more content from us, subscribe to our Patreon, which is just Patreon slash Enmeshed. On there, we will release special mini-episodes only for our patrons. These episodes include Lisa B. Explains Current Events, where she explains trending topics with ease and clarity, Lisa B. Book Reviews because she's listened to 57 audiobooks on Libby this past year, and my favorite, Lisa B. Lawyer Terms for Laymans, where she will take a word or concept we've all heard on TV or in the news, like libel or manslaughter, and explain it to all of us who don't have a law degree. If you want more information about us, check out my TikTok at molly.coffman. You'll see a lot about being a contract baby and what that means. But you can search hashtag contractbaby on TikTok and you'll find most of the videos. And email us. Do you have questions, comments? You can send your emails to amest with Molly and Lisa at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Have a great day. Bye.